Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Marshall McHugh, Chief Scientific Officer at Sable Systems, who recently joined us for a webinar to present case studies using carbon-13 labeled nutrient oxidation tracked second-by-second in real time in small animal models using the newest laser-based stable isotope approaches. Let's get right into it. First question today is, and I know you touched on this a bit, but Marshall, maybe you can, can you clarify, can high doses of carbon-13 or other stable isotopes be harmful? Sure. Uh, Good question. So yeah, like I said earlier, about 1% of our body, a little bit over 1% of our bodies already contain comprised of carbon-13. And so the amount of carbon-13 that would be in a typical tracer dose might increase this from 1.11% to 1.12%. And that would provide a very strong tracer signal that can be measured. Now, the technical answer is yes, amounts of carbon-13 that if all you ate was carbon-13, first of all, nobody could afford that, but levels of 5% or more could uh, start to interrupt some biological, biochemical processes and, and start to be harmful. But at the tracer level, the short answer is absolutely not. Excellent. All right. Great answer. Next question here. Why don't we have to worry about isotopic fractionation issues with these type of these types of tracer, tracer studies? It's a good question. The, um, if you're a physiological ecologist who's interested in very, very small difference or an isotope ecologist who's interested in, in differences in uh, carbon-13 levels that are on the order of one per mil, one unit, there is a concern of fractionation. However, because in most of these isotope studies, we are getting uh, orders of magnitude, several orders of magnitude enrichments in uh, 100 to 1,000 per mil, the effect, the final effect of isotopic fractionation is dwarfed by anything that would be drowned out really by the the signal of the tracer itself. So isotopic fractionation for these particular types of studies that I mentioned today is not a real issue. All right, great answer. Yeah, another good question here. So you mainly talked about uh, carbon-13, of course, but are there other isotopes that you have used? And if so, uh, why might you use alternative isotopes? So the isotope analyzer that I showed you in in some of the images is also capable of measuring oxygen-18, which is uh, the most common. There's a couple of uh, stable isotope forms of oxygen, but oxygen-18 is the most common heavy form. And that can also be monitored, that can also be quantified by uh, our stable isotope analyzer when it's present in carbon dioxide. So it would be measuring carbon eight, carbon dioxide, oxygen 18. But I've also used nitrogen and I, I like using nitrogen because it gives a, you can run it in uh, simultaneously with studies of carbon 13 so that you can track carbon and nitrogen flux simultaneously. And I didn't discuss that today because I was focusing on the breath testing, looking at carbon dioxide. And unfortunately, but it's just a law of physics, nitrogen is not occurring in carbon dioxide. So we cannot measure that in a kind of a breath by breath situation. But nitrogen 15 is a very powerful, another isotope that can be used for 
tracer studies. Deuterium is, is also uh, useful for doubly labeled water, which I did not also mention today. All right, perfect. Good question here from Jennifer. Have you ever delivered isotopically labeled tracers with osmotic micropump as an alternative to food, for example? I have not done that, but that is, again, one of those iceberg things that there is a, a so such an open horizon to to the applying this technology and osmotic micropumps would be a wonderful tool to deliver constant doses of tracer to the organisms, especially in the case of very small organisms that where cannulation can be difficult. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, an interesting technology. Yeah, here's another good question. Can you clarify how you measured the breadth of rodent subjects? Sure. I'll start with the familiar. If we were measuring the breadth of human subjects, it's pretty easy because we can put over us and exhale and send that gas into the analyzer. But for rodents, it's actually even simpler because the rodents live in their home cages, their home turf, and we are rapidly pulling air. Room air is entering the cage and we're pulling, drawing this air at high flow rates, two liters per minute into the isotope analyzers. And that is able to, so that fresh air is mixing with the rodent breath, but these, these devices are so sensitive that we can measure the uh, rodent breath while the animal is in its own cage and it doesn't have to be an airtight cage. Right, right. Natasha has asked, you mentioned oxidation of glucose, fat, and amino acids. Have you considered measuring uh, ketones as well? Yeah, I have not done that yet. I've measured ketones in circulation, but it's just kind of a limitation of measuring anything in circulation. You're not getting an idea of the flux of that nutrient. So when ketone levels during weight loss activities perhaps increase, we really cannot attribute that increase to anything specific. Namely, you can't tell if an increase in ketone uh, ketone levels are driven by an increased production of ketones or a decreased rate of the oxidation of those ketones. So as far as ketone, uh, carbon-13 labeled ketones, I have not explored that yet. And that would be an, an exciting area of new research for sure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.